Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. City of Chronicles is a Maya Chronicles production. Hey guys, and welcome to our Chronicles Q and A mailbag. Uh, with me, Nikki Bandini, and Mina Rizuki with me, as always. As always, our catchphrase, as always, I've inherited that one from Mina. It used to be Mina's catchphrase when in the old show, and somehow I've turned into mine as well. Uh, same as I'm swapping roles with her in the Antonio Conte this week. <laughs> Next thing you know, I'm going to be saying I hate Conte's tactics and it's too much continuation for the last episode. And Mina has got the giggles. And now I don't know. Don't know I've got to bring us together, Mina. I don't know what's happened, guys, but Nikki's on a different level these days. <laughs> I really love her not sleeping. <laughs> I just had not sleep. I had not enough sleep. So I'm trying to hold it together. Anyway, we've got some genuinely really fun questions this week. I'm really excited about it. We've even got a question from, and we're going to start here, Mina. We've got a question from Jill. Our favorite, well, we're not, right, there are no favorites here on the Chronicles of Tifosi. Or even when honest, are not Tifosi. But Jill's got one name like Madonna. Yeah. And she was the first. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just, guys, if you know Nikki, she's not usually like this. So for me, this is really entertaining. <laughs> it's usually I'm the one. Right. She was the first. Right. Mina, Jill's question. She was question. the first Madonna. It's a okay. good question. <laughs> okay. Let's, she was let's the first Madonna. Jill writes, thank you for this podcast and all of the bonus content. I have loved listening to you since the Serie Awesome Days. So kind. Um, So she's very excited to hear hear us both again every week. Not a Serie A question strictly, but we thought it was Serie A enough to get into the podcast. Because I think, as we've talked about actually recently, we're Serie A chronicles, but Italian football is is our remit. Like we're willing to talk about things outside of Serie A. And Mina, as Mina, Jill asks, what do we think of Donnarumma at PSG now that he's been there for a bit? Do we think this was the right move or that he was badly advised, pushing so hard for more money? 
at the expense of playing time at this point in his career. Mina, what do you think? It was interesting, um, Jill. Jill, you really do. You really have gone close to our heart. And we found out that you're from Boston. And Boston's my favorite city in the States. Um, I know it's New York or whatever for other people, but Boston is the one for me. Anyway, um, it was interesting because last week we were talking about, you know, the youth setup and what's going wrong with Italian football. And there's all these dramatics. If Georgina had scored that goal, we'd still be talking about how wonderful we are. It's amazing how much just, you know, a missed penalty can change so much about your view. Um, but, two missed penalties. Yes, two. two. I mean, imagine he converted both. We'd be flying at this point. <laughs> they would have said yes, we have the best yeah. youth system in the world. Yeah. But if we Don't have a lot of... That'd be so sad. I know. But if we have a lot of foreigners in our leagues, so do England. And you know what? They've been doing really well on international level. They may have not lifted a trophy, but they got far in the semi in, in the sorry in the World Cup. They got to the final of the Euros. And one thing that they do really well is that they do a lot of those players try to go out and make sure they make good decisions for their future. Now Tammy Abraham had interest from Arsenal and he chose to go to Roma, chose to listen to Jose Mourinho, chose to have an opportunity where he plays a lot of the time. And I don't know in Italy if a lot of these youngsters are making the right choices. To me, I always remember Scoufet at, um, at Udinese, the goalkeeper at the time. And Atletico Madrid were so desperate for him at the time because he was such a wonderfully young goalkeeper with such great ability. And he's like, no, I want to stay in Italy. And does anyone know who Scoufet is now? Yeah, I didn't think so. Yeah, mm. So it is upsetting sometimes when choices are not made. Having said that, it is about making the right choice. So it's not like just going abroad and making money, but it is, like you said, it's about choosing to play somewhere where you are going to get a lot of minutes and you are going to improve or see something that will improve you. Like when Matthias De Ligt decides to choose Italy over all the other leagues because he's a defender and thinks that's the best place to go. A little bit like Tomori that chose to go to Milan and be next to Maldini and thinks that will be so important as an investment for him in the future. I think Italian youngsters need to think like that. Even the great ones, you know, that everyone's excited about who haven't had the opportunities and they're going to Serie A B. At the moment, Serie A is not even at the level of certain other big leagues. Like, there's just no point for me right now. Like, you should try to push for deals abroad or see different leagues. And I would love that to happen more often. I think it would give us a more rounded view. I think that we would have players that have distinct and different styles that would bring something extra to the Italian game. But it is what it is. For PSG and for Donnarumma, I always struggle with agents that seem to favor lots of moves like Mino Raiola, um, because obviously it does come with a lot of commission. Mm-hmm. He's actually not being paid that much more than what Milan had offered him for a contract renewal. So I think for me, it was a little bit strange. But I do also understand the lure of going to PSG when you know that this is a team that had Neymar and Mbappe. Um, obviously, Messi came later, so that wasn't the reason he decided to go there. But a team that was trying to win the Champions League, that had a lot of money, that was placed in a beautiful city. That's important, by the way. And I just think for him, he did want the challenge. He wanted to be somewhere new and he wanted to go to a big club that could really challenge at the very top. Um, of course, we all associate PSG to a lot of problems, but players with egos think they their appearance and and their presence will make the difference. And I do like players with that type of ego. I don't think it was the right move to make because Keylo Navas wasn't moved on. And he is a tremendous coach, and, uh, sorry, a tremendous goalkeeper in his own right. 
So perhaps PSG wasn't the right move. Perhaps it would have been better to go, even if you wanted to go abroad, to go somewhere where you will be the guy that is the the number one of the team, even though there's a lot of teams right now that do actually um, change their coaches around quite a bit. But on on the whole, you do see De Gea at Manchester United pretty much all the time, Alisson at Liverpool pretty much all the time, you know, and Courtois, Real Madrid pretty much all the time. But if he was going to move, I just wish he picked somewhere with a little bit more of like thought into it rather than just believing in what Mina Raiola had to say to him. So I agree with that. And, and unfortunately for him, it's been a lot of criticism. But again, I do think this could be good to build his character so that he does overcome that. Lots of goalkeepers make lots of errors in the early, in, in early in their career. And if you face extreme pressure and a lot of criticism, then you grow thicker skin and maybe it will help you. Or maybe you'll disappear. So we'll we'll end up seeing what happens to Donnarumma. But in many ways, I am also glad for his struggles because I think it will make him a stronger player in the future. Yeah, oh God, there's so many things to pick up on. I mean, I agree with you massively, Mina, about this sort of knee-jerk reactions to Italy not qualifying for a World Cup and what this means about everything. Because this idea that suddenly we should be looking to English football as the example to fix everything because... England, what, qualified for the World Cup? Because England got to the final of the Euros with a pretty mostly soft run on the way there. Didn't <laughs> have to beat a lot of the big teams. Um, like, what? What? It, when did England suddenly become, England have won no World Cup since 1966. When did they suddenly become the model that everyone should be following? That doesn't make any sense to me. That doesn't mean there's not things wrong with the Italian model. Um, and it doesn't mean there aren't things that we should be looking at. And I think it's really interesting I have had conversations in the last couple of weeks with Italian coaches who said that they are that they do think that the the number of, of foreign players in the league has reduced the number of chances for Italian uh, kids, and that's part of a bigger picture of, of things going on. And exactly as you just touched on, I think there is another side to that, which is why aren't more Italian kids going to other countries and getting their chances there if they're not getting them at home? And you can look at Gianluca Scamacca, for example, who went to Holland and played and came back and look at him now, he's going great. And there are some others who've done that. He's not a completely isolated example. There are others that have done that in the Italian youth system. Perhaps we'll see some of them come back in the next few years and that will be a positive thing. I think Donnarumma's case is different. Donnarumma this summer had his star about as high as any goalkeeper can ever have it. He was literally the player of the tournament at Euro 2020, he was hosted as. He's coming off this sort of period of of being a figurehead for a Milan team that is resurgent. Okay, they haven't won the league yet, but they've come all the way up in this youth movement under Pioli with him as the star of it. And now he's almost the sort of single most iconic figure in the Italy team that won the Euros. Who else, who else is ahead of him in terms of visual stature he saved the penalties in in the semi-final and the final Chiellini and I think all right Chiellini but Chiellini's 38 and so so you have your pick at this point and in my mind what's happened is Donnarumma hasn't made his pick at that point Minoraiola has made his his pick Minoraiola has made his pick of the club with the most money to give him and it was a horrible fit Mm. It's a team that already has a goalkeeper. It's done. It's coming off a brilliant season who have completely at no point said, we're saying goodbye to this keeper. So you're taking a keeper at the beginning of his career when he should be playing games at a time when he's 
thrived playing games every week, who's again, stories as high as it could ever be. And instead of encouraging him to keep growing, you've put him into a situation where he's not even guaranteed games. And at a club that, on the most part, is quite dysfunctional. <laughs> a club that is carried by extraordinary talent, but where we've seen a series of really good managers go through, not get the results that they've been able to get other places in their career. I mean, Thomas Tuchel went from there to going and just winning the Champions League at Chelsea. So like, Six not months. about his talent, but yeah, but the context of PSG that has been dysfunctional for a long time, it's, it was a terrible idea to put in there that I can only justify by money. Because if you want to justify it by, is there another club in Europe with ambitions to win the Champions League who would have had more space for Donnarumma? Yes, there's probably like five or six. Like, it, really easy to find that club. Juventus are an obvious example. If he'd gone to Juventus with all respect for Chesney, he'd be starting every week. Mm. And that, to me, is a really poor choice. And I, what's funny about it is there is one other Italian player, of course, who did make that step to PSG when he was younger, when others wouldn't have been brave enough to, with Minolaiola's agent, and that is Verratti. And he's done brilliantly there. He's actually been one of the few players at PSG who's just consistently performed to a high level now for several seasons, even when things have been up and down around him. So I can see that it works for some players. But to me, this move specifically was always a bad move, always motivated by the wrong things. And I really hope that he's not going to get stuck there now because he's he's too talented to be stuck there not getting what he needs. And what he needs is a coach who desperately wants him and a team that will let him play every week because he's good enough. And I think right now his confidence is through the floor because all the evidence of his performances for Italy and PSG is his confidence is shut right now. I just... Wanna, so that's what I think. Terrible move. No, I agree with you. I, I, I just want to note that, you know, what we want from our kids is if you don't have the opportunity because, you know, like, for example, when we look at Portuguese players, when they are growing up, they don't necessarily want to stay with Benfica or Porto or Sporting or whatever it is. They'll look to make the right decision for their future. Sometimes the right decision is to stay where you are or to choose a bigger team mm -hmm. in your own league. But if you are not being given the chances, what I don't like is the whining because there are opportunities out there if you want to go there. It's about having the ability to say that rather than just saying, well, Juventus is not starting me or Inter's not giving me a chance. Barella made the right move to go to Inter. For one thing, he is a, a, a fan of the club. He was going to work at a team that is slowly building and has been doing much better on, on that level than actually won the trophy. To work with Antonio Conte, it was a step up for him and he knew he was going to be starting. So what I want from the kids is to, if, if you're given that chance and you think it's a better chance than anything else, then go to it. But if you are not getting the opportunities, then don't go to Serie B or Serie C, God knows what, but try to look for conditions and places and clubs that will allow you to get those minutes. Unfortunately for Donnarumma, I do think he was badly advised. And that's that's what worries me a lot of the time when you're having these super agents. And there's actually a big discussion right now in Italy about whether there needs to be a salary cap in the same way that there is in La Liga. Because a lot of what's happening is money that should be invested in football is being invested in agents and, and fees and ridiculous things right now. And I don't think it's helping anyone, frankly speaking. It's not helping clubs who are suffering from pandemics. It's not helping footballers who are sometimes being left alone or their salaries are too high or their agents are ridiculous or whatever it is. So 
perhaps that's something we need to look at, which is something that the Super League wanted to address, but we know that that's a huge problem anyway in its own right. But it is about making the right choices. I don't mind Donnarumma leaving Milan if he thought there was the right opportunity, but to do that for the sake of playing once every now and then seems like he was badly advised. Just respect where you are in your career, right? Because Verratti, PSG at the time when he did it, was a huge move. Yeah. He was going from not playing in a Champions League club to going and playing in a big one. But that wasn't the move Donnarumma was making. Exactly. He was making a move from a team that just got back into the Champions League. Like Respect where you are in your career and your opportunities, because I think he had the world's choice this summer and and that was the wrong place to go. Oh, I fully agree. But what can you do? Thank you so much, Jill, for that question. Uh, next up, we have Noel, who's a Chronicles Tifosi patron member. So a Chronicles Tifoso. Noel has asked an interesting question. Actually, he's asked two questions, but we're only going to answer the one today and then we'll save the second half for another week. But he says, love the podcast and thank you for keeping it going after the past few days. When looking at Milan, Inter and Juventus, what players on each team would you keep in their starting 11 in order to seriously compete in Europe? In brackets, ignoring the depth issue. I was going to say love, Noel, <laughs> but he didn't say that. That was just me. <laughs> it was actually very embarrassing. I was uh, trying to speak to uh, the, the gas and the guy on the phone about my charges. And I was like, okay, thank you. Love you. Bye. <laughs> and you get used to talking oh, to your friends a lot. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. It's mortifying, but yeah, I've done that as well. <laughs> love you bye but Noel didn't say that um he is genuinely asking which players we would keep should we start with Milan on this one and which players you would keep because they've got a nice yes, little yeah, team yeah let's do it okay well let's why don't we just work from the back Mina so like for me Mike Manion definitely like it's an easy choice good enough um absolutely I I think that's an extraordinary thing that he is good enough because We've just been talking about Donnarumma and you just went out and found the next person. But yeah, I think he's been fantastic. So any disagreement there, Mina? No. Brilliant. Brilliant goalkeeper. No. Okay. And a leader too. So then we get to the, yeah, then we get to the back four. And I think there's two players here who probably there's no big debate about, I would guess, which is Teo Hernandez and Fikayo Tamori. And then after that, I don't know if we'll be in agreement. Like, Calabria, what? I want to say yes, yes, because I like him. Yes, <laughs> Venus, Venus, yes, yes. I knew you. Are you going to say that you don't think that he should stay? Like they could do better? No, I just <laughs> no. In Calabria, there's, there's the big question: Can you do better? Do you know what? Though honestly, I think I think he's fine because I think that um, as well as anything. Calabria is good at what Teo Hernandez isn't good at. Exactly. And that's why they're a nice combination because you have balance in the team between the two things. So I actually do like Calabria. Oh, I'm not so certain good. everyone would go with that. But you know what? Like worse players than him start on, on Champions League teams or at least have. I mean, I was never particularly... That's not the way to start things. That's like thinking there's worse husbands out there so be okay with yours. No, Mickey. <laughs> that's not, you can't say there are worse players. He's provides so much balance. He's so tactically astute. He's... Oh, how could you... You're making me feel like they can do better and I... I name me... I like him. Okay. I like him. Name me who the no, replacement I would like be. I like him. I just... I suppose the problem is I'm doing this in my head and this is where I need to correct myself, right? Because what's the bar that we're setting? Like, am I, you know, am I setting the, 
the bar of you know, competitive in Europe, right? I'm thinking like, okay, so who are the best right backs in Europe? I don't think he's one of the best right backs in Europe, but he might be the best right back in Italy. So that's probably already something that's I should consider more because I wish he started for Italy in the World Cup. So we talked about that. No, he's good enough. He is. I just, I guess I'm putting him against, I don't know, some bar in my head like Trent Alexander-Arnold and I'm thinking he's not as good as that, but he's he's good. He's good enough. Mm, damn straight. Okay. Tomori, who's your other defender? So, <laughs> well, this is probably the first... <laughs> This is probably the first part of the back four where you start to to ask the question, right? Like, is um, are you okay with Romagnoli? Are you okay with Kalulu? Are you okay with Saminka? I I think that's a position that could be upgraded. I think Tomori probably is a better centre back partner. Kalulu's very young, and I think he's moving in the right directions. So that might work, but I think maybe there's still room there for something better. I'm not sure. Okay, I agree with that. I'm not gonna. I mean, if, if we're talking about Milan going step by step, then I wouldn't necessarily change anything in the back four. But if you are asking Milan to be one that is now competing in Europe, then yes, I do agree that there needs to be a step up in that position because Romagnoli ain't going to cut it. Right. And this is, I think this is why like, you're going to see like when we get all the way through a team that like why I sort of stopped on Calabria because I actually think a lot of this team is like, I'm fine with it. Like as in midfield now, I've gone to midfield. Am I okay with... Sandro Tonali, yes, I'm not being okay with it. I'm excited about it. I want to see more of it. I think he's going to be, I think he's going to be good. Am I okay with Ishmael Benasser in midfield? Yes, I am. Absolutely. hundred percent. He's good enough to play in that, in that level, in my opinion. Am I okay with, I mean, Frank Kessie's. He's gone anyway. Probably out. So yeah, so that's, that's a shame. So probably you're looking at, you need someone else there because Kessie is leaving. But what they have right now, I'd have all three of those and I wouldn't have a problem with it personally. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, I, I, I love all three of them. I think that one of them won the African young, like, best player of the tournament in Benacer. Tomori, uh, sorry, Tomori, uh, Tonali is what one of the best Italian youngsters out there in midfield, and I think he has so much room for growth. Kese, I love, but he's gone. So that is a position that needs to be yeah. looked into. And actually, unfortunately, he is very good at that position. I can't actually think of too many that do that as well as he does, unless we're looking at the very big hitters, you know? So I don't know who I would replace him with because I feel like whatever's going to come and if we are to be logical and who would come, it would probably be a downgrade because it's quite difficult to fill that role. Um, And he is the best uh, for me in in much of what he does, even though he's had his poor season by his own. Actually, no, that's a bit unfair, but maybe he wasn't as brilliant as he was last season. Um, but that's the reason why Barcelona t- have taken him. But in terms of midfielders, I don't know, is there anyone in Europe that if we are to be logical, who would choose to come to this team as well? Ugh, it's difficult, right? Who, who, Who's going to go? Well, the question isn't who we would sign. The question is who you would keep. Okay. So we need to, because if we answer who we could sign for all of these teams, it's going to get like into a really big question. You're right. So okay. who would keep? So I'd keep all three. Let's move to the attack. Yeah. I mean, also, like, the way Milan play often now is this 4-2-3-1, in which case you don't necessarily need three, right? So you can use Tonali and 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 Vanessa. And then if we go into that next possible bank of three, I guess it would be Leao on the left, 100% for me. Player that I want to see more of in the Champions League, I'm okay with it. Then Brahim Diaz, are you okay with Brahim Diaz at this level? Yeah. And then I guess the right-hand side is where I'm also a bit more ambiguous. Like, I'm not even sure because there is obviously 
you know, different players using those positions. Salamakas is someone who people have been really keen on and has had some some really interesting performances this season, but maybe not all the way there. Um, other players that sort of end up playing in that again, that bank of three by the attack. Junior Macias, um Ante Rebic, Akasieho. Are there any of those that you're feeling good about other than Leal? You assuming I would want to keep Leal. <laughs> all right. If you don't if you don't like Leal, you can throw all of them in the bin. Leal is the only one I would keep. I have problems with him because I'm not as big on him as everyone else. I, I mean but then I do think he's young and I'm expecting maybe too much, you know? So that's a little bit unfair. But I actually do think a long, a long more stabilised attack, he would be even better and perhaps provide the consistency that I would really want to see. But I'm still not there where everyone is when it comes to him. I'm not blown away by him that much. Um, I think he offers something on a tactical variation and I think what he provides is something we don't have very much in Serie A. But... Yeah, there are still moments when I, I feel a little bit aggrieved by his performances at times. But I would keep none of the others. I would not keep Rebic. I would not keep Castillejo, Salmakas, Brahim Diaz, Giroud or Zlatan. I think those two just... Again, I don't mind if you want to keep some of them for squad depth. But in terms of actually challenging for Europe, I think they need a whole new attack, frankly speaking. Um, and I don't, I don't think there's a striker there that guarantees a lot of goals or is consistent enough in terms of injuries and absences to be available for the matches going forward. Um, because obviously Zlatan is a tremendous player, but he's not available for most of the time. And in terms of wingers, yeah, Leao was probably the only one that I would keep. So, and, and Brahim Diaz for me, I'm sorry, he has no edge to him. He's too soft and pretty. Yeah, if you're talking about a starting eleven, there's there's it's Leao, in fact. And we can we can include the centre forwards in there. I agree with you. Uh Giroud as part of your squad, I'd have him there. Ibrahimovic, as part of your squad, I'd have him there. Do I think you want either of those players starting for you if you're trying to be competitive in Europe? No, I don't. And I, I see, I, I fully am on board with Leal starting in, in Europe. I think about that game at Anfield and how he gave even that Liverpool back line for part of that game. He gave them kittens, you know, like they were, they were panicked, like by his pace. So I think I'm, I'm totally on board with him being there and being a starter. But I agree with you that probably the, the rest of that three quarters you can upgrade. So that's almost certainly the biggest area of the team for me that needs looking at if you want to be competitive in Europe. Okay, should we move on um, to... Um, Simon? Yeah. Simon's already said, like, do you want to do one per team? This is going to be really long if we do all three because we've done, what, 10 minutes on that? Yeah. No, we did want to go through into it, but because we dedicated so much time to just Milan, <laughs> we thought at this point we're not going to answer any other question. Because we can't shut up. <laughs> yes, because we disagree and I don't know. <laughs> because Nikki hasn't slept and I'm, I don't know what's going on. So we're going to come back to this question for the next two weeks and do the rest of the teams, we promise you. So, but we do probably have to answer another question. Okay, Mina, last question for today's episode. We've got Filippo, um, another one-namer. So we've had Jill and Noel and Filippo. They're getting it, Mina. They know that we just love a, we love a single name. We love They're a Madonna. <laughs> All the Madonnas. Reports suggest Juve are looking to rebuild with an Italian court, writes Filippo, but have been linked with naturalised Italians such as Emerson and Giorgino. What are the benefits of having an Italian core? And are these benefits diminished with naturalised players? No. I mean, if, you, if you're playing for the Italian national team, whether it's, you know, Camorinese back in the day or if it's Jorginho now, 
the whole point of why it's so good is because what you create is a core and then they understand each other and play with each other to create a type of consistency that then translates to the national team and then back into the club as well. So both sides really benefit from having that and understanding that. If you look at the great you know, Spanish side that won the Euros and won the World Cup and then won the Euros again, it was based heavily on the fact that there was already this chemistry developed um, between Barcelona players. And there was an understanding of how to play and there was a rhythm that they could adopt because the majority of the players came from that team. So it's much easier to choose a style of football and have it progress quicker rather than having to teach different types of things. If you are right now a Juventus player under Max Allegri and then you're having to go and then travel to Mancini's Azzurri and that plays a different style of football with players that you don't know that well, it's much harder for you to really be part um, of the setup or to, to grow within that setup because it's a bit of a shock. So what we're trying to do is in, increase the level of fluidity and make it more comfortable for players to understand one another and sort of insert themselves into the tactics of the national team. And what you get, for example, is Giorgio Chiellini and Leonardo Brunucci know each other so well at Juventus that when it comes to representing Italy, they can be a force to be reckoned with. And it's not something you have to work on or devote a lot of time to it in training for the Italian national team. So it benefits, which is why for me, a lot of the Euro 2020 success was because of that partnership at the back as well, because of that understanding, because of their ability to know when, where they're supposed to position themselves and how on a mental level they can actually get the team to play, to get the team to perform um, and get the team to still believe in the scoreline when things are going against them. So that is why you want that. For me, at least, it's also, you know, speaking the same language, knowing each other, developing a friendship, because friendship and harmony in the dressing room translates so well. But of course, that works with naturalized talents. Um, and, and, and that it doesn't really make any difference because Giorgino, you know, he's Italian by all, by all sense. One of the real, large reasons why Italy did so well is because of him. Um, and it is his ability to work with others as well. And if you have that being replicated and it becomes like, you know, the way that Napoli moves sometimes, it's almost like they know each other so well. And that's what the benefits of all of that are. But it doesn't matter if you are, I don't know, Italian blood or you have the passport. If you're willing to play for Italy and and you understand the players around you and you have a core there and a structure in place, then it becomes much easier for the Italian national team to succeed. Yeah, I really object to the naturalised stuff because it like creates this sort of, in my opinion, entirely false like idea of like, oh, you're not really. Yeah. Like Giuseppe Rossi used to get all sorts of a flack and a hard time in, in America from Americans who felt like he'd betrayed them and was like a fake somehow because he can speak in English and American accent. But just because he was born in the States, he'd spent time in his, um, he'd spent time in Italy from a teenager. He was Italian in his self-identity. He was Italian in how he, you know, he, Italy was part of his blood and something that he wanted to represent. I'm half Italian but I grew up in England. I know that some parts of my life experience would have been different if I'd grown up in Italy, but it doesn't mean I'm any less Italian. So I find that naturalized um, thing sometimes quite aggravating. But as to answer the other part of the question and the desire to build things around Italian, I find this really interesting because of course, for the national team, it's great. Like if Juventus, who are Historically, the most successful club domestically in Italy, and certainly even now in a 
the sort of down period, one of the most, uh, one of the best teams in Italy, even you know, fourth in the table. The Italian national team has often, not always, for instance, the years last summer, but often had some of its greatest successes when they've had a core of players from Juventus who they can call on and just slot together in the national team and to have that ready-made mechanism ready to go for them. There's been this sort of this. Uh, uh, portmanteau even for Italia Juve that gets used of this idea that those things go together and, and it's good for, for Italy, it's good for Juventus. It's certainly good for Italy because national team managers don't have time to to work with players as much as club managers do. So anything you can steal from club sides is a good thing. What are the benefits for Italy, for Juventus of an Italian core? I, I don't think it's entirely like one way or the other, right? Because I think you can be very successful without an Italian core. But I think there are some benefits to having an Italian core. I think there are some benefits to having people who have an identity, a footballing identity rooted in the country they're playing in, because perhaps that allows them to navigate certain moments, certain high pressure incidents, part of the soap opera. I would say more for the soap opera than the football, the soap opera that surrounds Italian football, understanding how things work, understanding how the media is going to react to the Derby d'Italia and all those uh, incidents with penalties and red cards not given and VAR, understanding if you're in Rome, what the, the, the kickoff is going to be when things happen. I think understanding how fans are going to be with you, I think that can, that can help some. And I think that what can also help some on the pitch is an understanding of something that I think I talked about in the last podcast. I talked about my interview with Kaio Tamori, where he's coming from England and he says, Italian football in his description, you don't have to use his description, but he says it's more like it's more like American football. Pace is a bit slower, but the sort of there are plays and you have to be more precise in your positioning. So a core of Italian players who've played in Italy for a while will understand those things and, and be used to that sort of way of working compared to what Tamori called the basketball of the Premier League. Those are all things that can help. The other thing, which is maybe one of the bigger things, actually, I think, for a club like Juventus and not to be overlooked. Is nothing to do with football, but branding wise, I think it's often very strong for successful clubs to have a core of domestic players. Do you think so? Because it, yes, I do. I think fans always love to root for the, the homegrown. They always do. Fans always love to root for someone who they feel like is, is, is from where they're from. So especially if they're sort of hometown, but I think still, even if they're not from the hometown, I think there is a willingness to buy more merchandise and root harder for, for home players. I think that's always been true. I think I agree with you on it comes to domestic level interest, um, you know, from the Italian league, from Italian fans, from Italian branding. But actually, one of the reasons when a lot was being studied on, on Milan and their growth in the commercial sector and the fact that even until 2016, they were the best Italian team in 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 marketing and sponsorship revenues was because they embraced a lot of foreigners from countries that became interested in the league um, because of the presence of, you know, a Japanese player or a, or somebody from, you know, um, like how much a Belgian player or whatever it is. And it was that ability to bring on the foreign interests that actually really leveled, leveled up their ability to become a brand on a global level. So it's interesting you say that to me because I think from a fan's perspective, you you know, like a Juve fan, you support Marquisio, right? Because you he's your god, like he's the the homegrown player yeah. that you really want to do well. And obviously with Roma, with 
with all, you know, I associate Roma a lot to homegrown players. But I wonder on an actual commercial branding level, you know, when you have Ronaldo or you have on Claudio Mapicio, let's just say, obviously Ronaldo is a Ballon d'Or player, so just name another big player, then I, yeah. I don't know what the difference would be with that. But there's a difference between an Italian core and an Italian 11, you know, like this one thing is like the whole team. One thing is like a group of players for the home fan, for the home fans, a different selection as well. You're not saying to the exclusion of any foreigners. Yeah, no, you're right about that. Absolutely. I also think that when you have a core, what you have is people who, um, who understand the moments better in, in matches like, um, okay, like a lot of the foreigners who arrive, for example, I remember this, especially with Quaresma, um, when he was at Inter and he was just like, he couldn't get over how mean the fans were. <laughs> if he had one bad pass mm. or one bad move and he would just hear everyone being like, get off the pitch, you're, you know, you're, you're living off our money, you know, parasite or whatever it is, all these things that used to be labeled on him. And that's very normal in Italian football when you go to the stadiums, you know, we're not all singing, you'll never walk alone. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think sometimes when you have like an Italian core of players, they understand the moments a little bit. They'll understand what the derby means. They'll understand why there's all this commotion. And, and it, it's almost easier to train them when it is like a derby against Lazio if they're a Roma player because they already know what's being involved here. They know what this means to the city and the club. And if they are in any way attached to the club that they're playing for, you think they will give that just a bit extra, you know? That's the difference with having Italians mm -hmm. or, or players who are, have grown up as fans of the club. Why you want Tonani in Milan is because you'll say, I'll do anything you want me to do. I will take a pay cut, but I will serve to be better for you. That is kind of what you want, right? I mean, it, it really helps when the Italian you do have is even a fan of your own club. Um, and then you get the fans on board and the fans are much willing to be less abusive when it is an Italian core players um, that they feel are, are in love with the club. You'll see Juventus find it very hard to be mean about Locatelli, <laughs> you know? You know well, the Inter, players will find, Inter fans will find it hard to be mean about Barella, you know? And so it, it creates for a nicer atmosphere. But when you do have that core and they do win something extraordinary like a, a Euro 2020 trophy or the World Cup in 2006, then it reinvigorates a club side that has a lot of them. You know, they will feel powerful. They will feel strong. And that will then translate to, to benefits for obviously, you know, for the club as well as for the country. And I, and I just think understanding Italian football, because it is so dramatic, that is probably why you'd want them as well. The only other thing that's just come into my head is I think that the players who go abroad and do best are the ones who who buy in, who buy all the way in and, and embrace the local culture. And I talked about this with Tamori again, like him sort of saying his lifestyle's changed a bit in Milan. And I remember talking about that with Dries Mertens in Naples, like how much he's sort of felt like he adjusted Inca. to the Neapolitan life. Yeah, and you don't need to have, again, 11 Italian players to do that, but maybe you still need that core to bring people along. And I actually think Juventus have, have kind of always done that because they had before Chiellini and Bonucci and Buffon. And those players sort of tone for everyone else. You know, those players bring everyone along with them. And I think that that sort of buy into living somewhere and, and going all into it and enjoying it, I think sometimes you need you need a core. You don't need 11 being yeah, a core. Yeah, I agree. Well, that's, uh, I think that's all the time we have for this uh, Q&A. I'm sorry, it's a little longer than we expected, but we like to give you meaty answers because that's just who we are. A waffle, waffle, waffle. Waffle, waffle. Yeah, maybe it is a lot of waffling. But um, do let us know if you agree with some of our answers or you greatly disagree. We're always interested. 
to hear what it is you have to say. Get your questions in on Twitter for next week's Chronicles Q&A at SeriaCronPod with the hashtag Chronicles Q&A or via the website. Check out our website at SeriaChronicles.com and click the Chronicles to Fuzzy button to join our Patreon community where you'll get access to exclusive episodes and bonus content, which could mean me crying over she missing out or Nikki just, you know, <laughs> trying to hold it all together. Or to support the show with a one-time tip, you'll also find the button on the website to take you there. Find both of us on Twitter, at Nikki Bandini, at Mina Rizuki, and subscribe to the Seria Chronicles YouTube channel for clips of the show. We'll be back with our latest installment next week. Ciao for now. the most technologically inept people. <laughs> 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 it's like asking us if we're both sort of like, la la la, I think it's recording. <laughs> it's ticking over, it looks good. Something looks like it's happening. Simon's coming back in anyway. Yeah, there, there, Simon. Hi, Simon. Oh, Simon's all right. We can't hear you. Sports Social Podcast Network.